Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1197 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And it's a reminder at the top of the podcast to listen to this podcast. Make it your first lesson each and every day. Lots of Hawks podcasts on your favorite podcast platforms, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even our newly launched YouTube channel, which you can watch me on right now if you are listening to this podcast. Flip on over to the YouTube channel and help us out with subscriptions on both platforms. We'll dive in now to what became a victory for the Hawks on the bright side, a 131-128 to win over the Pacers at home on the Sunday into Monday. And if I just stop there and say, look, the Hawks have not been great this season. They're now, with this win, they're now one game ahead, away from 500 again. That's a positive sign. They've now, of course, won their last two games. They're 13-2 and in their last 15 games at home. Their fifth game in a row that they've won at home. And there was lots of positives, too, in this game. The offense was excellent for the on the whole, especially in the first half. Trey Young was excellent in this game. He had 47 points, including 33 before halftime. But the downside is that the Hawks basically did not play very well on the whole in this one uh, because defense matters. It's one of those things that matters. And, you know, the Pacers are not great this year overall, and they only had eight guys available in this spot. This is a game in which the Hawks had by far the better available roster. They were playing at home. And to win this game by three points, yes, it's a win, but if you want to frame it negatively, I just give you all the positives. If you wanted to frame it negatively, you probably could say this is probably one of the worst wins you could actually have, as plays that might sound, because they're playing against – this Pacers team is basically the worst team in the league as constructed, and the Hawks were at home. So that's a spot where you got to win and win comfortably, and they won. That's all that matters at the end of the day, but it was not great. So we'll get into all of that and the details here. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome aboard. One more time, please subscribe to the show. It really, it really helps me out. It really helps support, support this coverage of the Atlanta Hawks. And we'll get into the game now. So, as I mentioned before, the Pacers are not playing super well. Coming into the day, they were 23 and 45 this season. They're a bottom five defensive team, which we'll get into as sort of one of the reasons why the Hawks were so good on offense in this game. But even a worse situation for Indiana, it was this, they had a back to back. They played on Saturday and they play in central time zone. And then you throw in the time change when the clock springs ahead. So you lose an hour. They didn't get to Atlanta until after 3 a.m. on Sunday morning. So basically the best possible spot for the Hawks against any opponent would be a, an eight-man Pacers team that was missing Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner, T.J. Warren, Ricky Rubio, T.J. McConnell, Chris Duarte, Lance Stevenson, Dogo Batadze, all those guys out. They had eight players available, and yes, um, they, did, they did have Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, two of their better players, but they were playing Kiefer Sykes. They were playing uh, Taylor. Uh, Isaiah Jackson's pretty good as a rookie, but alas – not the greatest team in the world, and that's worth driving home here at the top of the podcast. Um, I would say very similar to a game that happened right after the traded line. About a month ago, the Pacers came into Atlanta, and they had just traded Demona Sabonis. They had just made all those deals they made at the deadline, and they came in with eight guys in that game as well, and the Hawks took their business in that one. They won by 21 points. It was never really close. And for a lot of this one, it felt like it was going to be the same. It just didn't stay that way in the second half. On the Hawks' side, uh, the big injury domino was John Collins being unavailable for this game. He's also just questionable with both a right ring finger sprain and a right foot strain. Obviously, the foot not, is not a new injury. That's kept him out recently. recently. As we talked about over the weekend, and that podcast, by the way, is still available on the Friday night breakdown. 
but Collins had his finger taped up and was obviously favoring it a little bit on Friday. And then uh, McMillan, as he often does, he'll usually like sort of throw it to pregame and say game time decision. In this game, he didn't do that. He ruled him out before the game even started. And uh, after the game, the only update that Nate would, would provide on John is that they, they'll get more information on Monday. And because he doesn't have more information, he's a game time decision for Monday's game as well. So we'll see. Um, I'm of the mind to be careful with John Collins. Number one, he signed for five years. Uh, number two, this season is not going according to plan. Uh, these games do matter, but if there's any doubt right now about Collins playing through something that might hamper him long-term, he's not been playing very well, which I think is definitely tied to his lack of health right now as well. And clearly the Hawks are at their best with John Collins. I, I will not hear anything about that otherwise, but if he's not his best, um, give him some time off would not be the worst thing in the world. So we'll see if he plays on Monday, but um, that's sort of an, an evolving situation with no information that's coming from the Hawks other than that he did not play in this game. Lastly, for pregame context, the Hawks were 12.5-point favorites, according to our friends at Bell Line, in this game. Ironically, that was the exact same line as the last time they played the Pacers at home. They covered that night. They did not cover on this night. This is the, also the second-largest point spread of the season for the Hawks as a favorite. They were 13-point favorites against Oklahoma City back in November. So, you know, they won the game, but uh, that kind of tells you that they're supposed to win by uh, even more points, let's just say, in this one. So, we'll get into the game as it, as it went now. And the Hawks did start very quickly. Dallas started in a place at Collins. It was a 15 to 5 run for Atlanta to open the game. Trey Young, Kevin Hurd hit, hit some threes. Trey had a filthy behind the back three point play. They were getting lobs to Capella for dunks. Um, the Pacers did respond, but um, it is worth noting that Trey has been carving up Indiana for quite some time. Um, this actually broke a streak. As funny as this is, Trey had 47 points. It actually broke a streak for Trey. It's Indiana. In the previous four games, he had at least 30 and 10 assists. In all four, in this game, he did, he did not get the assist numbers, but uh, he definitely just destroys the Pacers, and that was the case in this game. Um, he had 12 points in the first six minutes, for the record. But Indiana picked up their scoring, and they basically scored very well for most of the game, as we talked about earlier. The Hawks' perimeter defense was not good. Uh, Trey's part of that. I think uh, Herder and Bogey were not great in this game either. Lou Williams, same thing. But um, that's worth just pointing out and driving home. The Hawks did, though, make five straight shots to push the lead up to 11 late in the first quarter. Ended up being up nine at the end of the first Rotationally, it was Bogey and Okongwu first, then Hunter slid to the four. Um, he was back at four in this game, but they were running without Collins. That kind of makes it, made a lot of sense. After all the uh, hubbub about DeLon Wright being out of the rotation on Friday night, he came back into it because Collins was out, and Nate seems to like those nine guys. He even talks about the ten guys that he's been playing. DeLon is obviously number ten in his mind right now, but he was number nine in this game and played two different stints in this one. The talks on offense were lights out. Um, 37 points on 20 possessions in the first quarter. That kind of tells you how good they were in that spot. Capella and Kong were finishing around the rim. Trey had 14 points, etc. They used Bogey at sorry, they used Gallinari as the bridge to the second for the second unit. Um, and he took advantage of his size. They could not guard Gallinari in the post with smaller guys. That was uh, very, very evident. And again, Indiana came in with a bottom five defense. And with this personnel, you know, no Miles Turner, no Brogdon, etc. This is probably the worst defensive team in the league as constructed. Uh, offensively, they have some talent. You know, Halliburton is a heck of an offensive player. Right now, he's a pretty, he's a pretty bad defender. Buddy Heald, same thing. Obviously, a very valuable offensive player. Pretty bad defender. Uh, so, just looking at the talent there, Indiana scoring is not like a huge, huge, huge surprise. But defensively, uh, they don't have much of a chance to stop most teams. And then you throw in the Hawks being awesome on offense. It's pretty ugly. The Hawks, though, were scoring. You know, the Pacers did score kind of, I don't want to say at will, but they're pretty comfortably in the first half. But the Hawks were cooking. They were up 18 at the halftime break. Trey had 16 points in the final five minutes 
of the first half. He was unbelievable in the first half. And listen, Trey is always excellent. He's a superstar player after all. But when he's got it going from the perimeter like he did in this game, he's basically unguardable unless you just throw double teams at him, which was actually saw in the second half, which we'll get to later on. But in the first half, 33 points for Trey in 17 minutes, his career high for any half, 33 points. He was 7 of 9 from 3, 2 of 4 on 2s, and then 8 of 8 at the free throw line. Ironically, I thought he was going to get it, but his career high for threes in a full game is 8. He had 7 at the half and actually finished with 7. He only took 1, 3 in the second half of this game. Um, but obviously a career high in the first half with, with his 7. And also, from an NBA standpoint, he was the first player in the league this season to have 33 points in the first half of the game. Only the fifth player in the league to have 33 points in any half. So, uh, obviously, he was out of his mind, and he was uh, the reason why the Hawks, at least the biggest reason why the Hawks were up by 18 points at the half. But even then, the Hawks had their, their highest scoring half of the season was 77 points on 50 possessions, so a 154 offensive rating. That is ludicrous. Um, 60% from the floor, 13.22 from three, uh, 78% true shooting in the first half, 15 assists, three turnovers, just ridiculous stuff. And again, bringing this back, sort of a callback to earlier, the previous high for any half this year was 76 points against the same Pacers team in February. So that kind of tells you, again, this Pacers team, not very good. Regardless, defensively, it was pretty ugly, and we'll get into that much more later on in the show as well as second half, player observations, overall takeaways, and a look ahead briefly at tomorrow's game as well as some standings looks. But first, before we get on into all of that stuff, and work from our sponsors on the podcast today. One of my resolutions this year in 2022 is to eat right. I managed to stick to that with the help of Built Bar. In some ways, not even really a resolution for me anymore because I actually enjoy eating Built Bars. They have the protein-infused puff bars that are fantastic and all of the other fan favorites as well. Built Bar has 100% real chocolate in every single bar, which makes a huge difference, and they taste fantastic. On top of the taste, Built Bar is low-calorie and high-protein. You can easily replace your candy bars with Built Bars both in taste and to improve your nutrition. Go to built.com right now. Check out the nutrition page. We've blown away by it. Most built bars have only four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein with a very low calorie count. And built bar has longtime flavors like coconut and almond and new flavors coming all the way and all the time. Plus, each flavor is absolutely delicious. The best way to check it all out and everything from built bar, honestly, is to go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 when you get there. If you do that, 15% off on your order with built bar. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, we'll get in the second half now. And the Pacers, you know, they started doing this a little bit late in the first half, and especially in the second half. They started basically trapping and face guarding Trey Young almost full court for most of the second half. It was effective. The Hawks were not as good offensively in the second half as they were in the first half. They were still pretty good, but not as ludicrously good, especially early on in the third quarter. But, but occasionally, the, I mean, this is one of those things where in the NBA, you don't often see this approach. Guys get double teamed or whatever, but they were guarding Trey like it was a college game. In summer's backs, like it was Steph Curry Davidson kind of thing. Um, but obviously it settled in a little bit. Trey was still able to get what he needed to get done after the halftime break, but it was pretty wild to watch in real time early in the third quarter. But again, Capel got his fourth foul. He had to lead the game, and the Pacers had a 15 to 4 run to get back within seven. And that was the first miss opportunity. The Hawks could have put this game away. They're up 18 points at the half. You are I can't I cannot express to you how big of a favorite the Hawks would have been in the betting market at that point in time, up 18 at home against this bad Pacers team. But Pacers make their first run, get it back within seven. And really, they they were scoring over and over and over again. Trey didn't take a shot for six and a half minutes, which is not really on him, the way that he was being guarded, but that definitely threw the Hawks off a little bit. Indiana had three in the air, and would have cut to four and missed it. The Hawks did sort of extend it back out. They had 100 points with 14 and a half minutes to go 
So offensively, no problems there. They played the Stars a little bit more than usual in the third quarter. Trey played the entire fourth – sorry, played, played the entire third. Hunter played the first 11 and a half minutes. They brought uh, actually kind of a hilarious lineup in late in the third quarter. It was Trey, Lou Williams, DeLon Wright, and Bogey playing together. Granted, it was um, mostly offense in that stretch, but it's, kind of, it's pretty funny to watch that that foursome play together. But the Hawks were still by 13 at the end of the third. Trey had 41. They were still scoring. The Pacers were winning the third quarter, but they weren't like chopping the lead down too, too much. And then early in the fourth, other than the delay of getting technical foul, the Hawks got, the Hawks were in fine shape. They were up by 14 points with eight minutes left. And, you know, again, massive favorite at that point. But immediately, Indiana goes on an 8 0 run. Um, Halliburton got, got, got going a little bit offensively. In fact, Isaiah Jackson missed a layup, or it would have been even closer. And the Hawks had their one and only offensive sort of swoon in the entire game was right in that stretch. They only scored two points in almost five minutes of clock time. Some pretty good looks in there. Just, they just started missing after they'd been red, red hot in the rest of the game. They closed with Hunter at the four plus Bogey and Herter on the wings and Capella, which made sense. That's probably what I would have done in this game as well. The Hawks did have a huge three by Hunter out of a timeout to kind of stop the bleeding a little bit, but the Pacers hit two threes in a row and it was a three point game with three minutes left. Um, back and forth from there, Trey hit a Trey hit a 14 footer. And again, I thought it was probably over again because Trey made a shot to go up by seven with under two minutes to go. And again, comfortable lead. But after a timeout, Pacers get a three-point play. Bad defense there. It took them took the entire shot clock, which is worth noting. But the Hawks were up by four with the ball. And they had an awful possession. That ended with a he by Bogdanovich at the, at the end of the shot clock. The one positive there is that they wasted the shot clock. But Hunter gets called for a loose ball foul that puts in the end at the line. That was a uh not a great decision, but also kind of a bad call, I thought, by the referees. I might have challenged it. I think they probably would have lost, to be honest with you. It's one of those calls that's tough to overturn. I didn't like, I didn't like the call very much, but still, unfortunate, because Indiana, Indiana makes both. It's a two-point game with 109 to go. Then, Kevin Herter gets called for a push-off on offense, and that one was the right call. He actually did push off. It was certainly sold by Indiana, but uh, the right call. And then Halliburton has a pretty good look from three for the lead, for the Pacers in the final minute. He misses it. They get a loose ball foul. They challenged that, by the way, in the end and lost it. But then uh, it was actually on Trey, like over Trey. So Trey gets triggers the line, makes both. That was a nice break for the Hawks. And again, up four, 20 seconds to go. You're in great shape. But you allow, you allow a layup. Really bad defense on that trip. And by the way, I don't know. Again, this is something that Nate's just not done enough for my liking this year. Trey was on the court, again, on a, on a defense only possession with timeouts. I just don't understand it. They keep doing it. They burned them there. It wasn't just Trey, but I just don't understand why they do that. Regardless, that's a rabbit hole, but um, situational substitutions lacking this year. At any rate, they foul Trey again. He makes both again. They foul the Pacers again with five seconds to go. They make both, and they got to Hunter for an easy bucket to go up by four points with five seconds left. That should have ended the game, like very, very obviously. But inexplicably, Trey fouls in the backcourt up by four. Now, he was arguing with the ref, and you know, I don't, I don't even know why he was near anyone. It's one of those plays that, like, it didn't burn them, but they obviously won the game. But just kind of a weird, weird play. Like, why would you reach in there? I don't know. Was it a foul? Like, maybe not, like a huge foul. But obviously the reach-in happened. And the only way you can lose there is to foul. Like, you're up four, and they have five seconds to go. They have to go down the court. They have no timeouts. So let's say charitably they make a layup with one second left, maybe, or they make a three with no time remaining, basically. If you foul on the backcourt, yes, you're still 
a huge favorite. But if they miss the make the first, miss the second, rebound, kick out three, and now you're tied. Now, could you lose regulation? Probably not. But the one thing you cannot do there is foul. But regardless, it didn't burn them. Uh, Hunter gets the rebound after they make the first, miss the second, and that's the end of that. So after that whole roller coaster and all the context that I provided on this podcast, they win the game. That is the most important thing. Uh, even I, as someone who is huge on context and you know, part of my job in hosting this podcast and covering this team and tweeting about the team and all that stuff, writing about the team is to give you the full picture. So I'm trying to do that. But in the standings, this is a win. And I'm sure Nate will drive that point home. Although coaches also love to teach lessons in wins. I'm sure Nate is not too upset about at this point. Offensively, to be very positive, was really good in this game. They cooled off some in the second half. They still scored plenty, and they were actually – the only difference in the second half really was their three-point shooting. They were 4 of 16 from three in the second half after they were just scorching before halftime. But still, the full game numbers were unbelievably good. 55% from the floor, 17 of 38 from three. It's 45%, obviously excellent. 22 of 24 at the line is excellent. They had 27 assists, 12 turnovers. Both of those are above average. So they were really good on offense the entire game. You know, part of that's Trey being out of his mind, but, you know, guys had good games. They had seven double figures in this game, so there was some balance to go along with Trey. And uh, no complaints about the offense, really. I mean, there were some like small things along the way, but overall you can't really say they, that they should have been better than this on offense in this game. But defensively, it was a total mess. Uh, they allowed about 1.3 points for possession, which is genuinely horrific against anyone, but especially against the undermanned Pacers team. Even if you want to be uh, kind and say Indiana does have some talent offensively with Halliburton, healed. And they play small, they play fast. The way Washington Jr. had 20 points off the bench. It was bad defensively, like full stop bad. Second half was even worse. 69 points on 55% shooting for Indiana. Nick McMillan got into the fact that they were sort of losing ball handlers and allowing the defense to be kind of broken down in the middle. I would agree with that. But in general, they were not contesting shots. Even in the first half, when it was a little bit better defensively than it was in the second half, they were not contesting shots at a high level on the perimeter. It's been a problem all season long. It was not really the rim that kind of beat them in this game. It was really the perimeter and free throw line kind of stuff, uh, making some uh, mistakes and breakdowns. Fortunately, the Hawks did force 15 turnovers. So they, won, they won a turnover battle in this game, uh, but still took five less shots than Indiana because the Pacers were really, really good on the offensive glass. Um, that's been a problem for the Hawks at times recently, particularly when Capella's off the floor. Um, in this game, uh, it's one of those stat lines, like a Congo had nine rebounds to lead the team, but only two were defensive. That's a weird one. Um, kind of tells you the story on that one. Indiana ended up grabbing 37% of their misses. That's a very bad ratio for the defensive glass. And they shot the ball great. 64% true shooting for the Pacers. On the road, on a back-to-back with eight players. So part of that's just, you know, credit to them. Take your hat off to the Pacers. But, uh, boy, that was a rough, rough, rough performance in uh, some ways for the Hawks. Um, sort of, I guess, before we get on to the player evaluations and some standings talk, etc., could the Hawks have handled things better down the stretch? Uh, I think so. There's a couple of little things, but I mean, offensively, they were still scoring. They just weren't getting the stops. Other than the one possession that was in the final minute and a half with Bogey kind of being forced to take a bad, bad shot, it was just mistakes. Like the Herder push off, the Hunter loose ball foul. It was like the perfect storm. And, you know, I guess to their credit, mildly, you would say this is a game the Hawks have lost this year a bunch when they make mistakes on the stretch and they give the game away. They tried in this one, to be fair, but they just weren't able to actually give it away. So that's a small consolation. But uh, there you go, a three-point win. Put it in the books. We'll come back with some more context about the players in this spot, as well as some standings talk, and look at Monday's matchup against Portland. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. 
March is here. Tournament is finally upon us in college basketball with all the latest odds, totals, player props, futures, exotics, and more. BetOnline.net is the number one place for all of your sports betting needs. And beyond that, BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, your podcasts, and your news this season. And of course, it's not just basketball. At BetOnline, they have a full slate of offerings that include live betting and your favorite casino games and also all kinds of other sports between hockey, boxing, UFC, auto racing, tennis, golf, baseball, soccer, entertainment bets, horse racing odds, plus every single prop you could possibly think of. Head to BetOnline right now or use your mobile devices to learn more about all the trends and the action today. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we'll get into player evaluations now and uh, – you know, a lot of these are positive. I think defensively sort of permeated almost everyone. But being without Collins defensively does hurt them because Gallo is just worse than Collins. But, um, you know, Capella and Congo were fine defensively, but everybody else you could probably nitpick a little bit. Off the bench, Lou kind of fell back to earth in this one. He had two points on four shots. He had three assists, um, but defensively it was rough. Uh, Bogdanovich did not shoot the ball well. He's been a little bit cooler after a very, very hot stretch. He was 4-12 on the floor, 2 of 9 from 3. And this one did have six assists to lead the team. Actually, it's very rare when Trey plays the whole game and does not leave the team in assists. That happened in this game with, with Bogey having six. He was plus eight in his minutes. He played well. 13 points. Just didn't make his uh, threes in this one. But other than that, he, he gave them good minutes. Uh, DeLon Wright returns to the rotation. 13 minutes. Uh, four rebounds. Did his, did his job defensively, as he always does. I am prone to saying this, but he just makes winning plays. And that was very much the case in this one again. Congo had some nice moments, 13 points, nine rebounds against seven offensive, two defensive, a weird ratio there. Did have a block shot and two assists. Finished well around the rim, although he was 6 of 11 from the field. He missed a couple bunnies um, that were contested for sure, a couple actually blocked, I believe, by uh, Indiana. But I thought he played reasonably well. Uh, and actually played a lot because of Capella's foul trouble. Capella had five fouls in uh, 22 minutes. So that, that, that actually, this is where I Congo played more than Capella, and it's because of that. Um, speaking of Capella, 10 points, six rebounds, three steals, three assists, and a block. Uh, was minus nine, actually, because he was on the floor for that whole second half stretch. But uh, I thought he played pretty well. And then defensively, he was kind of their best anchor. Um, made all five shots. That's a positive for Capella. He's been actually quietly better around the rim and finishing recently. Um, going through the game log a little bit here for Capella. Um, in March, I believe this includes tonight, he's shooting 74% from the floor. That is only seven games and not a ton of volume, but um, he's not had a sub 50% shooting game since February 15th. He's been shooting like something in the neighborhood of 70% since then. Uh, so, I mean, for all of the talk about his finishing and it's not been great this year, that has been a problem for a while now. It's been about a month since he's actually had some bad finishing games. So that's a positive for Capella. Uh, Kevin Herter had some nice moments, made four threes, um, second only to Trey in three pointers in this game. Only took two twos and no free throws, uh, had 14 points, two steals and assist and a, Three rebounds for Herter in uh, 35 minutes. He was uh, crucial in many ways in this one. Hunter had some nice moments as well. 15 points, uh, one rebound. And that's, you know, it's I don't want to make too much of a one game, but Hunter's rebounding is a genuine problem at the three, and it's even worse if he's playing the four. Uh, Hunter has not had a game in which he had more than three rebounds since February 26th. He's not had a game where he had more than four rebounds since February 13th. That is very, very, very bad for a small forward who also played some power forward. And he played power forward a lot with Collins out in that last month plus. So that's just sort of a little thing in some respects, but it does kind of tell you why the Hawks lose on the defensive glass, especially when you're trying to play Hunter uh, at the three or the four. Plus, Gallo's not a great rebounder at this point in time. Okongo's not either. It's uh, something to just circle moving forward. Gallo offensively got whatever he wanted in this game. 15 points, five assists, five rebounds. 
on 11 shooting possessions. That's uh, quite good. This mesh-wise, like, they, they have no answers for Gallo. It was kind of funny. Like, Trey is, of course, the deserved headliner in this game. We'll get to him in a second. But Gallo, whether they had anybody on him, basically, he was cooking. Um, I guess maybe at one point it was Jackson, but even he, he they got him in the air at one point. Um, everybody else was just too small to deal with Gallo. And it's, it's a good reminder that Gallo cannot be stopped by smaller defenders. He just shoots over them like they're not even standing there. That's a huge weapon off the bench and obviously will be starting in this game. And then Trey, uh, what are you going to say? He was brilliant, 47 points, five assists, two steals, three rebounds. Four turnovers is totally fine for him. Uh, six of 10 on twos, seven of 10 on threes, 14 of 14 at the line. And it is a big thing when you have your best player also be an uber elite free throw shooter. It just gives you a, a lot of ways to close out games with a lead. Uh, you know, which is the last three games, including tonight, Trey is, yeah, 32 of 34 in the line in the last three games. Like for the season, he is up over 85 to 88%, including that Trey, the mouth of the fly. But coming into the game, he was, no, he was 89% coming in. So he's actually close to 90 after today. So uh, that's just a huge advantage. And we saw this down the stretch. Like Trey only had, I gotta say, only, only had 41 points in, until like a minute and a half to go. And then he was 66 to the line on the stretch. It's just a huge advantage. And, uh, you know, obviously he got wherever he wanted in the first half. Credit to him for adjusting. Took him a couple minutes in the third quarter, but he started playing off the ball, cutting a little bit more, being more active. It's not his strength right now to, to, to play off the ball, but Indiana kind of made him do that. And he at least did, he, I, I thought he responded and played well after he settled into that. And the first half was just a uh, masterclass in shot making and shot creation from Trent. So from here, the Hawks actually have a solo possession of ninth place in the East with this win. They're a half game ahead of Charlotte. They are three and a half games ahead of Washington. Washington's in, in 11th place. I've said this a few times. Um, I don't really worry about the Hawks missing the play-in. Uh, is it possible? Yes. But is it likely? I would say firmly not. Between the Hawks, I think, being capable of winning games, soft schedule, and Washington just not being very good. They're in good shape there. Um, as far as moving up, though, they're only a game and a half behind Brooklyn for the eight seed. That's uh, doable, but Brooklyn's obviously better now with KD back. And they're four behind Toronto with 15 games to play for the seven seed. Um, the six seed is even another game behind that. So they're five games behind the Cavs for the six seed with uh, 15 games to go. Is that impossible? No, but the Hawks have to go like 13 and two, maybe more <laughs> to, to get actually out of the plan. So realistically, you're still, you're, I think you're slamming for us. You're trying to get that seven, eight spot so you can avoid the nine, 10 playing game, but. We'll see what happens there. Um, on the schedule, the Hawks have another pretty uh, easy spot on Monday. Now, it is a back-to-back. -back. Those are never easy, but no travel for Atlanta, and they're playing a Portland team that is, uh, how do I say this, not playing very well. Now, they, they did just beat the Wizards at home on Friday. No, sorry, on Saturday. Before that, they lost six in a row, and uh, they are not playing their best guys. They have some injuries. They have some tanking. Um, let's just say taking enthusiasm right now. Uh, and they're not very good at full strength anyway because of the injuries they have. You know, Damolo hasn't played in a long time. For everybody's not, may, may not be following that. But the Pacers, uh, sorry, the Blazers are not as good as the record. You know, if you look just at the, just at the record this season, Portland is 26, 26 and 40, which isn't good, but they're worse than that right now on paper. Like their net rating is way worse than that. So keep that in mind. They also had to fly cross country. They played a home game Saturday. So not a huge disadvantage, despite the quick turnaround for the Hawks with no travel. And, um, you know, even if Collins were to not play, um, 
unless Trey sits, the Hawks are going to be huge favorites again. Maybe not as big as they were tonight because of Indiana's eight-man group they had available and the rest advantage. But the Hawks are – let's just say it'll be disappointing if they lose on Monday. And they do have a chance to get back to 500 with that win if they can go ahead and pull that off. From there, the schedule is not too bad still for a while. Now, they do have a challenge – couple of challenges at the end of this week they have a, a road game in charlotte which will be a pretty interesting test and could be a play in preview and then they actually play memphis at home on friday after that they go um, home for new orleans very winnable game on sunday then at new york and at detroit so that's a six game stretch the hawks will be favored i would imagine in at least four of those games maybe even five of those games depending on how you feel about charlotte on the road so uh fill some opportunities for this hawks team they can keep playing well and at home one final time here 13 and two in the last 15 games and five in a row at State Farm Arena. So that's been uh, good to see. And uh, we'll see if they went on the road on Wednesday. But before that, they had to play on Monday and we'll see what happens there. I have some plans for NCAA tournament talk on Tuesday as well. Um, obviously, not just college basketball talk, but just NBA draft talk. We're getting closer. I'm not quite there to where I want to turn on the Jets with draft coverage on the podcast because we're going to have a lot of time to do that, barring a deep Hawks playoff run. But the Hawks will have an interesting draft pick potentially. So we'll touch on a little bit of that is the plan on Tuesday in between games. And then uh, I'm actually going to be covering the NCAA tournament over the weekend. So I uh, may, may have one less podcast than usual this week because I'm going to be on the road. And I don't, I don't often do that, but a couple times a year I have to do other things. And I have too many jobs and uh, just a little bit of a preview there. But please, if you'd, like to, if you'd like to subscribe and support the podcast, the best way to do that is on your podcast platform of choice. So on the audio side, whether it be Apple or Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, any of those places, Overcast, if they have a, a, the ability to rate and review the podcast, please do that as well. But please subscribe. Please download. Click. That is always very helpful and support our sponsors in the process. And if you're already listening to the podcast or you're already subscribing to the podcast on the audio side, if you're not a huge YouTube or video podcast person, I have launched the YouTube channel. Um, the entire Lockdown Network is actually going to video, which might tell you why I'm going to video as well. But to help me out, I am looking to get to 1,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel by the end of the regular season. So I have about four weeks to go. We're halfway, actually more than halfway there, but still have some real work to do. So if you have friends that might just like to support you and by proxy support me, they might want to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please share the link with them. If you have Hawks fan friends, if you have multiple accounts, all that stuff, I'm not uh, above begging for help in that regard. So please subscribe and watch the videos or just click on them. That's very helpful as well. So thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. Please follow me on Twitter if you would like to, at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter, at Locked on Hawks, for all the latest and all the links and all that stuff. When you, and the best way, again, to find the podcast is to subscribe, and it'll be just delivered to you. It'll be handed right your way when it drops. I'll have a new show after the game on Monday, and we'll see you next time.